Welcome to To Every Generation, the broadcast ministry of Calvary Chapel Crossfields, located in Jamesburg, New Jersey, where we teach through the entire Bible, verse by verse, and make application to every generation so we can grow in our relationship with God. This morning we're going to be in Ephesians chapter 6, and we saw before in chapters 1, 2, 3, of Ephesians, who are we in Christ? Who are we positionally? You know, what, what is our wealth in Christ? And then in chapters 4 and 5, we really got to see how to walk in Christ. So we start with wealth, who we are, and then we move to walk, because that's what we have to do. You know, the Bible says not to just be hearers only, but to be doers too. So the Apostle Paul's kind of been coaching us along in those two chapters to help us to, to be a new creature in, in Christ, to walk in the Spirit. Um, and it's, it's a really neat thing. We also spoke about, uh, in chapter 5, the synergistic marriage, right? How marriage um, is really the nucleus of the family, and the family is the nucleus of the community. So you see how it kind of goes out in concentric circles. Um, today we're going to get into Ephesians 6, which really speaks about harmony in society, and talking about how to resist the disharmony that Satan tries to perpetrate to society, the disunity, the anarchy, the... And you know what? In our country, <clears throat> if we as Christians don't take the lead and start to put forth unity, our country's in a lot of trouble. You see it every day on the news. People are at each other's throats. You know, today, Americans, all we do is now we look at ourselves and see how we're different from somebody else and how we can further isolate ourselves into our own camps. But the Bible talks about unity. So, brothers and sisters, I'm going to say this to you. We're not a lot here in this church, but we need to be a part of the solution. We need to be taking this to heart and try to foster that unity that God wants because the godless world is just ripping apart the fabric of our nation. We're no longer a melting pot where we have our own isolated camps. Now, next Sunday, um, we're going to have a lot of visual aids. <laughs> So we're going to be a lot of props, a lot of visual aids. I really would love for you to come out and make sure you make a commitment to next Sunday. Uh, we're going to talk about the armor of God. So what I'm going to do today is kind of go through chapter 6, but next Sunday zoom in on verses 10 through 17, where the Apostle Paul speaks about us donning the armor of God, what it means, and how it can benefit us being in this world. So let's jump in. <clears throat> Verse 1. Children... Obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, that it may be well with you and that you may live long on the earth. So we left off with the husband and wife, and now we're completing the family with the children's responsibility. See, God tells us what we need to do, how we can have harmony in our lives. It's up to us whether we want to listen to him or not. It's right here. It's been here for thousands of years. It's timeless uh, wisdom that doesn't grow old as time goes on or, so, or the way societies change. It says, for children to obey parents in the Lord. This is important because in some households, the kids are believers. The kids are strong walking and the parents aren't. And it's sad that the Bible has to say this. I mean, we're seeing more incidences of, of parents getting high in the home trying to turn their kids on to drugs, drinking with their kids, teaching them how to be lawbreakers. Boy, we see this all the time. In some households, it's the kids 
that have the light of Christ. It's the kids that are trying to do the right thing in this ridiculous household. So it says, in the Lord. It doesn't, listen, Christian children. And when we talk about children, I'm going to make some applications for juveniles, and I'm going to make some applications even for adult children. But, you know, listen, clean your room doesn't go against God's word. I mean, that's still in the Lord, okay, if your parents ask you to do that. But, uh, you know, somebody who's a believer and their parents ask them to do something that's unbiblical or illegal or something like that, that's where the, the tension may come in because the obedience has to be in the Lord. Verse 2, honor thy father and thy mother. Right? What does honor mean? Sometimes I take these words apart. I like to play with words. I looked it up in the Greek. And the Greek says, this is very interesting, for honor, respect, it means to fix a valuation upon so honor doesn't always mean listening if it's ungodly, okay? And that's, that's where we need to be thinking people. We need to take all the Bible into context, okay? To fix evaluation upon, do we value our parents? If we value our parents, then we'll treat them in a certain way. Now, this looks different when the child grows up and gets married. Remember, we spoke about laws. We have laws of the universe. We have laws of physics. We have gravity, we have Bernoulli's principle that temporary supersedes gravity. Okay, there's also biblical laws. Jesus spoke about this uh, in, when he was teaching. He said that even on the Sabbath day, that life, preserving life, has to come higher than observing the Sabbath, right? Jesus said, is it lawful to do good or to do evil on the Sabbath? And he often healed people that were suffering on the Sabbath. And the religious people were so bound up in this religiosity well, it's the Sabbath. We can't do anything. And Jesus is like, use your brains. You know, use your, be filled with the Spirit. Understand what God is saying here. So when children grow up and get married, now they fall into a different law of what the Bible says and how the husband and wife and the family interacts. So they still honor their mother and father, but there's really less interference when the children grow up, become adult children, and get married. And I think about my own father. My father um, had... I mean, he, was, was, he would tell people, his common knowledge, he was divorced twice. So he had some jaded opinions about marriage. So he would give me counsel that was usually ungodly, and I didn't listen to it. <laughs> but I did honor him when he was old and he was sickly, and now I had to take care of him, and he was, he was pretty much dying. And I did. I took care of him. I cleaned him at times. So I honored my father. But there's some things that I had to discard because, quite frankly, what he said was, was ungodly, and it wasn't according to Scripture. Verse 3, to children, this is the first commandment with a promise that it may be well with you and that you live long on the earth. I'm actually surprised that my study Bible doesn't have the uh, scripture going back to Deuteronomy 5.16. This is where we originally find it in the first five books of Moses. And what happens is it's, in some Bibles it's italicized because the Apostle Paul is referring back to Deuteronomy 5. Children, obey your parents. I know parents are loving to hear this right now. But it will be well with you and you'll live long upon the earth. Let's look at this from an opposite point of view, especially for juvenile children who are still in the home. Um, very sad, very tragic. So let me say that up front. A few news stories caught my eye as I was really studying this and reading about juvenile kids who maybe they live on the first floor, whatever, and while their parents are asleep, they sneak out of the house, get involved with some bad friends and bad situations. They either get arrested, injured, or killed. I'll give you two. 
Philadelphia, a 15-year-old girl sneaks out. Parents don't know. She dies in a car crash. Another one, Florida, 14-year-old boy sneaks out, gets with some friends, gets in a car, dies in a DWI crash. And what's really sad, and I can say this from wearing the other hat, when the police come to the door, doot, 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 and wake the parents out of sleep, and they go and they're like, no, I'm sorry, officer, you must be mistaken. Look, my kid is, and they open the door, and the kid's not in the bed. They get the bad news from police, okay? It's tragic. It's horrible, right? And it really, you know, we, in our society, everything now, and sadly enough, churches are doing this. Oh, we've got to be relevant. We've got to be cool. We've got to be hip with the culture. This may seem archaic, but it'll save the life of a child, okay? Listen to your parents. When I was 17, I thought I had all the answers too, and I didn't. And I still don't have all the answers, and I don't have the answers, all the answers as a parent. But I could see the wisdom. Just really quick, I, was, um, I actually was tall, and I, I was, grew facial hair quickly as a teen, so I looked older, and I had this friend, Frankie, and he was a few years older than me, and he had a license. And my mom and my stepfather would forbid me to go and hang out with Frankie because, you know, because those were older friends and they were driving and I wasn't and they were still trying to preserve my, my innocence and my youth. Who knows what would have happened if I would have hung out with them and snuck out of the house. But listen, the Bible is relevant. It's not outdated. It has wisdom. It doesn't matter what culture we're talking to. You know, when we think about messages of obeying and submitting, it's very hard for us in American culture because we were actually founded on disobedience to the crown. You know, if you go way back and see how our country was founded, and even in our culture, we're always pushing the limits. You know, we're pushing the limits with, with God, with traditional values, with parents. You know, I'm seeing videos of kids in school beating up teachers. Man, it's getting crazy out there. Always press and press and press in the limits. You know, and I tell you, some of these two th videos where young kids come and they, they get together and they, they beat up elderly people or somebody who's disabled for kicks. It's really sick, all right? We're, we're going to find ourselves in a really bad place if we don't start to turn the ship around. And Christians, we need to be that preserving influence on society because society is just doing what it wants and it's going to lead to anarchy. And when that happens, I assure you, we'll never come back from that. And we're getting close to it. Romans 13 says that there's, there's got to be some submission. We, we all have to submit to somebody, you know? Verse 4, it says, And you fathers, do not provoke your children to wrath, but bring them up in the training and admonition of the Lord. See, everyone has responsibilities, even those in authority. Fathers don't get a free pass. Parents, authority figures, we don't get a free pass. We don't have carte blanche to do what we want with our kids. Again, we don't have to listen to this, fathers. But the Lord will deal with us, and he'll hold us accountable. Colossians 3.20 says, Fathers, don't provoke your children lest they become discouraged. So either to dis be discouraged or provoke the children to wrath. And, and when we look at the scripture, we can see, and we look at society, that there has been damage by parents, and, and moms are doing it now too. But fathers doing this type of behavior. So two things either happen. Number one, the child's spirit is withered. And even into the adult years, because of their treatment by their parents or their father, what happens is they, they become just a broken spirit wandering through society. In the second instance, it provokes a wrath. You ever meet kids and young adults that are just angry all the time? 
You know, I like to interview people. I like to ask them what their story is. And some of them have had abusive situations, and it's just turned them hot. It's just made them angry. They're just mad at the whole world. And it's sad. Now, we do have a responsibility as individuals. I didn't have the best upbringing. And then I came to the Lord and, you know, had to put that stuff behind me. You know, I had to grow up. I had to mature. I had to realize that I have a responsibility to God. I can't blame my problems today on anything that's happened in the past. And I'll tell you this, though. It's a cowardly thing. And unfortunately, it's happened. It's a cowardly thing to beat your kids down in silence and then tell them, don't tell anybody. That's cowardly. It doesn't prove anything. So, so the Apostle Paul started with a don't do, and now he speaks to a do. What should we be doing as parents? We should be training them up in the admonition of the Lord. What is that? Well, that's called discipleship. Discipleship comes in many forms. It's called training. It's called discipline. It's called rearing. There is a place for discipline. Okay? You know, my son goes with the teens, and Pastor Vinny is the one who trains and teaches my son. But you know what? My son's also taught at home. It isn't Pastor Vinny's job. He does a great job, but it's also my job to go through the scripture with my son to teach him life lessons. You know, it isn't for us. We, we get into this thing in society, we're so busy. We push our kids off. Oh, it's the church's job, it's the school's job. God forbid, it's the internet's job. You know, you want the internet to teach your kid, forget about it. There's stuff there that you, it's, it's just, it's frightening. And it's, you know, it's, it's, it's a problem. Parents, especially fathers, if you don't give your kids the spiritual attention that they crave from you, they will find it elsewhere. I'm dealing with a young man now who just sought the, the, the craving, craving, craving his father's any attention. And he got involved in a weird cult. And it's, it's damaged him. It's damaged him as in, in his adult years. And again, whether we like it or not in a temporal sense, good or bad, a lot of times daughters get into a relationship with a man like their father. And if a man like their father hasn't taught them good things, sometimes they get involved with relationships with bad men. Boys grow up a lot of times, to be like their fathers. Right? And if all they see is or know bad things, either neglection or abuse, that's all they have to draw from. And they, they start to fall into that pattern. It's a sad thing to watch. And check this out. What the Apostle Paul said when he wrote this was revolutionary. Because if you go back 2,000 years, whether it was a Jewish household or a Roman household, the fathers had ultimate authority. But here Paul is saying, hey guys, God's the ultimate authority. You need to follow and be submissive to what God's word says. Right? Verse 5. He says, Servants, be obedient to those who are your masters according to the flesh, with fear and trembling, in sincerity of heart as to Christ, not with eye service as men pleasers, but as servants of Christ, doing the will of God from the heart, with doing or with good will, goodwill doing service as to the Lord and not to men knowing that whatever good anyone does, he will receive the same from the Lord, whether he is a slave or free. And you masters do the same things to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master also is in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Now this, in my study Bible, it, the caption is service on the job, as in employee-employer relationship. However, I want to talk about three situations that... <clears throat> that the Bible will speak about over the thousands of years that it was written. 
three situations with a, a person who's working and a person who has authority over that person working. And let's look at this. In the Roman Empire, there was slavery. And I'm going to talk a little bit about that. Um, there were some that were not free. Actually, slavery goes all the way back to Genesis. Joseph's brothers actually sold him, instead of killing him, to slave traders. So since the beginning of time, sinful men who have um, had the power over other men have taken them and, and made them slaves, which is a bad thing. Two, servants in the form of indentured servitude. That's, in a sense, a, uh, a contractual, obligatory type of relationship. Right? We'll talk about that. Employee, employer, which is free, it's contractual usually, but free. So the first thing is slavery. The United States, Rome, sadly, sadly, many countries today, you would think in our enlightened generation that it would be eradicated. Right? And unfortunately, I hate to say it, even some Westerners have the idea, well, as long as it's not here. There are many, many places around the world that still have slaves. It's a horrible practice. And I, I think that the world turns a blind eye towards it. I think, quite frankly, if, if the UN is going to do something, they should try to eradicate slavery more than all the other things that they have on their agenda list. The Apostle Paul was not for slavery, and the gospel principles of equality were against slavery. However, in the Roman Empire, a slave who did anything that was deemed illegal was... Jesus was crucified. You know who crucifixion usually was for? Slaves. Right? Jesus came as a servant to free us from our sins. He took that form in a sense, but the Romans made an example of anybody who broke the law in that sense. So the Apostle Paul, needing to avoid a bloodbath, instead effected change from the Roman Empire from within. So that's what the Gospel did. It actually softened the Roman Empire from within and helped to eradicate some of these practices which the Gospel did over time. Now, in the United States, more than half the country was for flee, freeing slaves, and thankfully, we eradicated it. And you know who was on the forefront? Remember the movie Amistad? That was a horrible movie, by the way. It was well done, but it was, it was hard to watch. And you can see the Christians as the abolitionists, and they were. Um, Wesley, Whitfield, a lot of Christian preachers spoke out against the evils of slavery. As a matter of fact, was it Spielberg? I think he made the movie... In order to get the rights to the script, the person who sold the script said, you need to put the stuff in about the Christians. This is history. Don't try to Hollywoodize it. That's a little bit of the backstory behind the movie. So the Christians were out front in this country. For more on the subject, check out my Philemon teaching, which I did in two sermons. This is really a story of the Apostle Paul petitioning for a runaway slave to be freed. So he did do his work. He couldn't do it overtly because of the harshness of the government, but the Apostle Paul did his work behind the scenes. Two, the second situation, indentured servants. Now, it was common back then, and believe it or not, it's common around the world today, and it's under the radar in the United States. So this is this obligatory contractual situation where a person has to work off a debt. Now, the Jews did this in the Old Testament. Um, they would work off a debt, and then... Uh, to make sure that this didn't go on forever and it didn't affect their children, every 50 years was the year of Jubilee, where the debts were forgiven and the obligations were freed and everybody could go back to being, you know, to start from square one again, which was great. 
Indentured servitude sometimes goes on, well, a lot of times goes on, under the radar in the U.S., and usually it's a contract that's originated overseas, and some folks that maybe where English isn't their first language, and it's not just Spanish, it could be Russian, it could be... And what they do is they come and they maybe take care of somebody elderly for, for a certain amount of time, and then they get to go back to their homeland where now they're free from their contract. So that's two, indentured servitude. Three, the most common that we run into as Americans is employer-employee relationships. The employee is free to quit, but they don't get paid anymore if they do quit. Basically, what he's saying is do a good job. Do it again as to the Lord. And this keeps coming up in these chapters. Christians, I have to ask this question. Probably many of you are employed. Are you doing a good job at work? You know, are we giving our employers our best? Or are we just doing it when they're watching us? Are we lazy? Are we stealing from them? Are we trying to cheat them? God has given us a conscience, and we need to use that in the workplace as well as in our personal and private lives. You know, even being a contractor, right? A contractor goes to a homeowner and says, for $10,000, I'll remodel your whatever. And they both sign, and, and the contractor does the work. Does the contractor do a good job, or does he try to cut corners? Does he try to take the money and then disappear for a few months? If you were a Christian, these things should not be happening. Verse 9, it says, And you masters do the same thing to them, giving up threatening, knowing that your own master is also in heaven, and there is no partiality with him. Chuck Smith actually, I listened to him on this, he told a story about even though the Romans had a tight grip on slavery, that in Christian circles, those who were not free, slaves, and those who had authority actually came together and worshipped together. And what it did was it actually took a bad situation and turned it into a family situation. Very impressive. So, you know, God has a way of, of not respecting what society does and trying to change things from behind the scenes. So verse 9, the employer, overseer, homeowner, you know, the person in authority does not get a free pass either. Does not get a free pass to treat somebody working for them poorly not by threatening, not by menacing, not by harassing, right? If we're in a position of authority, we're still governed by God's word. And we might say, I don't have to listen to that. That's fine. But the Lord will deal with us at some point. You know, he says to the manager, the employer, the business owner, you will have to answer for the way you treat others. Nobody gets a free pass according to the scripture to abuse another person. And I've seen both situations. I've seen situations where Christians either don't make good bosses, right? And they're, they're, they're heartless to the people that uh, work under them. They may even go to a Calvary. And I've seen Christians who are unproductive workers. And, and then I've seen situations where a Christian employer and employee are bickering because somebody's not doing the right thing. And that's sad. Could you imagine if everybody listened to this? The courts wouldn't be flooded with lawsuits. Unf unfair labor practices, firings. You know, in the book of Ruth, this is an awesome example, Ruth 2.4, Boaz was a wealthy landowner, and he had a great relationship with his workers. They greeted each other in the Lord. It was, it was if you read the book, it's very impressive. He obviously was good to the people, the reapers, those that worked with him. It was a family situation. And when, um, and, and when Ruth... Uh, went to work there, he wanted, well, there was a, a, an attraction, there was a, a relationship issue, but 
he knew that his workers would take good care of her and they wouldn't take advantage of her. So you've got to read the book. It's a great book, but it's, you see this relationship there. Verse 10, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. Stand, therefore, having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace, above all, taking the shield of faith with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one, and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. This is such an awesome portion of Scripture. I don't think he put it last because he was trying to find something to say to fill up the letter. I believe he put it last because it was one of the freshest things on their mind. I'm going I'm to skip to prayer. So join me next Sunday. We're really going to take these basically eight verses and we're going to amplify them. And we're going to see what is the armor of God. Christians, what can we do? And we'll check that out next Sunday. Verse 18, he says, Praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel, for which I am an ambassador in chains, that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. First of all, he says, with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Can we pray not in the Spirit? Yes, and it's meaningless. Now, I come from a background, so if this sounds offensive, sounded like that to me too. I came from a background where you memorized a prayer, and you said it over and over and over and over, and you could be half conscious and you could still say it because it was emblazoned into your brain. That's not talking to God. That's not praying in the Spirit. Jesus even said that the heathen use vain repetitions. So as Christians, we sh- but my church doesn't matter. I could tell you something, but if it's not in the Bible, then I'm wrong. It doesn't matter what your church says. It matters what Jesus' teachings were. So praying in the Spirit is the first thing that caught my attention. Now, in context, he just spoke about putting the armor of God on, and this is how Christians were able to live in such a depraved world. When you send a soldier to the Middle East to fight, or maybe send some of them out there to fight ISIS, you don't send them with what I'm wearing. Hey, guys, let's go. Let's get into the battle. No. <laughs> T-shirt, pants. You may feel comfortable out there, but you need to send them with equipment. You need to send them with things that are going to effectively help them to win the battle. So we live as believers. We're spiritual people living in a depraved world. How do we deal with the situation? Um, you know, some have had the idea over the centuries, well, just gun them down, you know, if they don't repent, some religions. No, we don't abide by that. Those are temporal tools. We need to have our spiritual armor, and that's what he's going to talk about, or we're going to talk about next Sunday. But prayer is very important. Prayer is relational communication with God which we can neglect as Americans in a hurried society. The Apostle Paul had his issues that he had to talk to the Ephesians about. 2,000 years later, we have issues here too in the, in the Northeast. I think that one of Satan's best tricks is to say, well, you can love the Lord, but you know, the praying, you'll get to that. 
Devotions, you'll get to that. Reading the Bible with your kids, you'll get to that. You're busy. You've got to put food on the table. So he gets us so hurried and so busy that prayer is often, the Bible speaks about prayer all the time, right? Com- relational communication with God. Now, as, as you read this, he also helps deter us from selfishly just praying for ourselves all the time, right? We're to pray for ourselves, but we're also to pray for others. A.J. Gordon said this, you can do no more than pray after you have prayed. I'm sorry, let me back that up. You can do more than pray after you have prayed, but you cannot do more than pray until you have prayed. Well, what do you mean? I can do whatever I want. Yeah, but you really can't do anything effectively. So when we pray, we can do more than pray. But if we haven't prayed and we go through life just doing stuff as Christians, we're in trouble. Because we're not, we're not checking with our Father. We're not checking with the chief counsel. We're just doing it. So he makes a great point. You know, some, some have the idea that, oh, all we can do is pray. It's like we can't do anything else but pray. Well, maybe we should pray in the beginning. And then maybe things will look different. When I pray, I enjoy praying. I, I'm excited about prayer because I know that my Father's listening to me. And I know he wants to do something with this. Maybe not as I would have it done, but the way he would have it done. It brings me to my next quote. Richard Trench said, Prayer is not getting man's will done in heaven, but getting God's will done on earth. Now, to be more encouraging, we, it's, here's another quote. He says, We must not conceive of prayer as overcoming God's reluctance. God's not a mean father who's holding all his stuff like this, saying, You can't have it. Try, you know, let me taunt you. He doesn't provoke his children to wrath. He tells us not to do that. God is not reluctant, but he wants to have a relationship with us through prayer. So he says, we must not conceive of prayer as overcoming God's reluctance, but as laying hold of his highest willingness. To what? To answer prayer. And I got to tell you, thank God for unanswered prayer or prayer answered not the way I wanted it. I look back at some of my prayers And I'm so thankful to God that he didn't do what I asked. He did it a different way, and it was for my benefit. Because we don't have the wisdom that he has. We don't have the foresight that he has. Verse 18. So he basically talks to us about personal responsibility for a believer to pray. Also, too, to pray for others. What kind of prayer is it if every day we go to God and we just throw him this wish list that we want? You know, it, it's so, it can be so self-centered when we don't think of other saints, other people that are suffering that could benefit from us praying for them. So f- for us, for relationship, two, for others, and then three, for leadership. Paul says to pray for him. The Apostle Paul was a prisoner of Rome. And that's why I'm going to guess, well, I'm not going to guess, I'm pretty sure that he, well, he, was, he would see soldiers often because he was in chains, he was bound. And he would see the Romans probably training. He would see their armor. He probably witnessed to many of them. And then we can go into the armor of God and see what he says about the spiritual armor. But he's in a prisoner. There's harsh conditions. Maybe he was under pressure to be quiet. I told you not to talk about that Jesus anymore. Will you just shut up or I'm going to belt you? That's probably what he might have heard. But he said, just pray for me to be, be me, me to be even more bold in my witness to others. And we look at the Apostle Paul as, oh, I wish I could be as bold as him. He's actually praying for boldness. He's our hero in a sense. But we're saying, I want to be more like him. And he's saying, I want to be more than what I'm doing. 
Sometimes we can be in situations that, listen, as Christians, we're not supposed to be obnoxious, right? I mean, sometimes it's just the door's just not open, and we've tried. And maybe the door will be open in the future. But then there's the other extreme where we're too timid to say anything because we're afraid of the fear of rejection. And um, listen, he says we're acting as ambassadors of Christ. I mean, if somebody said to you, came to you and said, we want you to be an ambassador from the United States, this lovely country out in the Mediterranean, you'd be like, whoa, look at all the benefits that come with it. You know, we're ambassadors to God's kingdom. And there's a lot of people here that have never heard of his kingdom. They've never seen his kingdom. They know nothing about his kingdom. They don't know how beautiful it is. They don't know how beneficial it is. Well, it's our job as ambassadors to carry that message. Why? Because we, we know what the scripture says. We know what God's promises are. We know what he's revealed to us in prayer. So we are ambassadors. To me, that's a greater honor than going to some country that, you know, when God redoes the whole heavens and the earth, might not even be there anymore. So we have to put this in the perspective. Life can become more difficult and it becomes difficult because we're increasingly living in a world that doesn't want to hear it. You know, are we building bridges? Are we getting to know people out of love so that we can share God's kingdom? Hey, let me tell you about this place. It is awesome. Hey, let me tell you what Revelation 4 says about God's throne room, the sea of glass and the living creatures, and then God is just amazing. And, and you start, and Jesus promises us eternal life, and that when we die, we really don't die. We just kind of step into eternity. It's like walking from one room into a beautiful room, and, and you just get so excited. People are like, really? I've never heard this before. Well, let me tell you more. Let me tell you who the king is. Let me tell you how much he loves us individually. Ambassadors. Again, in addition, pray for your leaders. I see prayer requests, and I pray regularly. I love praying for people, and I love... Sometimes people forget to tell me. I'm like, I find out a month later, oh, hey, the tumor's gone? Oh, yeah, I forgot to tell you. What do you mean you forgot to tell me? <laughs> Come and tell me the good news. You know, I, I, listen, I deal with the bad news, but I like the good news too. What are you doing? Don't do that to me, please. Come and tell me the good news. I love the praise reports. But you need to pray for me too and your leaders. You know, Satan has special trials and temptations just for us. He wants to take us out. You cut the head off of any living being and, the, and the, the being, the animal, dies, right? He wants to sever us from our relationship with Christ. He wants to besmirch us to the congregation so that people are scattered and then say, well, that's the second church that happened. I'm never going to church again. That's what Satan wants. So I would, I would implore you and beg you to pray for your leaders. And I love, I love the Apostle Paul's transparency here. And I got to tell you that there's some situation that we, definitely I've experienced, and, and I, I look back and I go, there must have been a bunch of people in church praying for me. That was amazing. Wow, how that worked out. God is so good. Verse 21, last few verses. But that you also may know my affairs and how I'm doing. Tychicus, a beloved brother and faithful minister in the Lord, will make all things known to you, whom I have sent to you for this very purpose that you may know our affairs and that he may comfort your hearts. Peace to the brethren and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all those who love our Lord Jesus Christ in sincerity. Amen. You know, it's funny. I started, I've heard people talk about unsung heroes. And I would put Tiki Kiss in there. 
And I've read about Tychicus, there's five different portions of scripture that talk about him. But I never really thought to study him until I read this. I really like his name, Tychicus, you know, it's pretty cool. But, um, hey, every ministry needs a Tychicus, seriously. And I don't know if his plural is Tychicai, but, you know, he was a behind-the-scenes saint. What did he do? He carried the Apostle Paul's letter to the church, and the letter was to be read openly to the church. He also verbally conveyed other things that the Apostle Paul wanted them to know. Hey, how's Brother Paul doing? Uh, he's hanging on. You know, he's really strong in the Lord, but boy, he's, he's got his down moments, and you guys need to all get together. You know, this is outside of the letter. You know, well, this is Paul's plans, and he's hoping to get released and then go over here, and right? This is ticky kiss. It's, it's personal. Think about this. If the Apostle Paul didn't have a ticky kiss, neither the Ephesian saints nor we would have this letter. Think about that. Now, could God raise up somebody else? Sure he could. Another ticky kiss. <laughs> Maybe with a different name, but with the same MO, so to speak, right? Your gift may not be, and I'm, I'm looking at some ticky kai in, in here, you know. Somebody's got to give me a plural of his ticky kisses. I don't know. <laughs> but your gift may not be to be out front, and maybe you're, you're shy and you don't want to be out front, but you could be a ticky kiss. You could be that faithful person that God sees and the leaders see and the church is blessed by. If we didn't have that, a lot of stuff wouldn't get done around here. We've got a lot of folks that just, they, they're not looking for any accolades or a pat on the back. They're just awesome people. So I would just say this to you. If you're praying about what to do in serving, Maybe out of this whole letter, this small part of these few verses were for you. Pray about it. Enough said. In lieu of the summary, I would just say this. We have to ask ourselves, after studying any book of the Bible, what's it about? You know, I remember coming to church and sitting in the pews, and maybe I was having a rough week, and I wanted to get blessed. And that's an awesome thing. But as I started to mature in the Lord, I actually wanted to know what the letter was about. You know, what are you saying, Pastor? What's he saying? What's the conclusion? Well, what happened after that? See, what happens is it, it, it stirs up a hunger in your heart for the things of God. We don't come to church on Sunday just to come to church to hear a bite and then go home. This, this letter has purpose. It has meaning. 2,000 years later, it's the living word because it affects you and I as well as it affected the Ephesians. So instead of thinking about some wrap-up, I would just ask, we should ask these questions. Number one, what was the letter about? Number two, what was the one thing that God pointed out to me personally? What was the one thing that God wanted me to know through the letter to the Ephesians? If we can't answer those questions, we may have to go home and ask the Lord, you know what, Lord, maybe I've made summer and my schedule more important than what you care about. We might have to repent and change direction. And say, Lord, give me a hunger. Give me a fire. You know, I, I heard part of what was said today, and, and, and now I'm, I'm sad that I didn't get every single message leading up to this date. Lord, you know, my prayer for God for us this morning is to speak life and wisdom into our lives, into an increasingly chaotic world. I think sometimes it's harder to get Christians excited when the stock market is good, you know, there's prosperity, everybody's getting along. It's so hard. People don't see their need for the Lord. But brothers and sisters, you don't have to go far. You don't have to go but 200 feet into Jamesburg to find somebody who's looking for encouragement, 
for somebody whose life is falling apart, for somebody who's committing suicide, for somebody who's considering joining ISIS. The numbers now are in the thousands between Americans and Europeans. Where does a person have to get in life before they want to go to a country and cut people's heads off? And I don't say this to shock you. I say this to, to jolt us into reality. We live in a Western bubble. We live in an illusion in, in, in the West. We're so protected here. Somebody said after 9-11, we got to see how the rest of the world lives. It's a daily basis. Brothers and sisters, we need to be praying. We need to ask for a hunger. We need to ask to be a willing vessel. And every single one of us, including those of you who are tikkikas, can do something. So I would just say that as we close, that we take this to heart, we take it to prayer, and we see what the Lord will show us. Let's pray. You've been listening to To Every Generation from Calvary Chapel Crossfields. We're located at 15 Half Acre Road in Jamesburg, New Jersey. We meet for Bible study Wednesdays at 7.30 p.m. and Sunday service begins at 10.30 a.m. On Sundays, we have children's church for all ages in addition to infant and nursery care. You can find out more about the ministry here at Calvary Chapel Crossfields by going to cccrossfields.org. Thanks for listening and may God bless you.